Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Coffee with Mirko. I believe it's episode 39, a bonus episode. Uh, this was a last minute uh, guest joining us and I'm very pleased and honored to be able to talk to Ralph Ruler, uh, the founder and owner of uh, The Bond Berlin. So uh, as soon as he tunes in, we'll be able to bring him on. He just sent me a message and he'll be able to tune in. So he had a little bit of a hold up. So thank you for tuning in back in. And uh, yes, if you're enjoying it or you want to share with people, feel free to take a screenshot and uh, send these to your coffee friends or non-coffee friends. So I'm going to send this live invite to Ralph right now and he'll join us soon. He's... Uh, yeah, I'm very excited and uh, yeah, I got very much a lot of questions for him. But hey, Mama, Luna, good to see you. Uh, been to Machine, Hannah, hope you're well. Miguel Mora, Georgie, uh, we are just about to bring uh, Nita. Good to see you again, Nita from Malaysia. Um, we're just waiting on Ralph. So I just sent him the invite, we were talking, so hopefully he'll be able to tune in very soon and once he will be able to tune in I'll uh, we'll bring him in in the meantime feel free to drop any questions for him I'm just gonna pin a comment once he tune in hey your luminous Deno Deno Bush where are you from Deno good to see you I haven't seen you on the on the live stream and uh, yeah, just waiting on Ralph. Um, he just DM'd me, so he should be here in any minute. Oscar Consult, good to see you again. Andre Ehrman, <laughs> back here, back to the start. Um, for the ones who just tune in, we went live about 22 minutes ago. Ralph had a little hold up, but he just reached out on Instagram, so he'll be able to hopefully to Tune in, tune in with us real soon. Um, Konko Ngopi Denabush from Doha. Good to see you from the Emirates. Lots of good coffee shops out there and coffee roasters. And Andre, where are you from, Andre? I recognize your name. Jada.ku, Prewolf11 in the house. Feel free to say hi. Don't be shy. Tell us where you're from. What's your favorite cup of coffee? And uh, we'll try to bring Ralph on real soon. Uh, the Silent Man Cafe. Let me wave to all of you guys. Welcome. Good to see you. All right. Oh, yeah, from Switzerland, but we moved to Melbourne. Oh, Andre. I know who you are. I know who you are. I know even your next project. Uh, let's put it this way. You and I have a good friend in common. His name is Brett. And uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Your name rang a bell. Uh, of course. Apologies. Uh, I know exactly who you are. And uh, you're not going to be far from where I live, actually. Uh -huh. Moscow. Osconsort. Good. Saying hi from Melbourne, Peter Gallego. Oh yeah, hey Peter. Um, and yeah, again, hopefully Ralph is 
handy with Instagram because he just texted me that he was available. So um, let me have a look. I am live now. Hi from Mexico. Oh, good to see you. Habib, BWS, Georgie. Daniel, your dream is to work in Melbourne as a barista. Well, once you get that role, you'll be able to. And Ralph is in the house. Very happy and uh, very humbling to have him in. And uh, without further ado, we're going to bring him in because you guys are all here for him. So here he is. Hello, guten Morgen. Hello, hello, Mirko, my friend. You <laughs> <laughs> <I> look tired. <laughs> nah, you look fantastic. And we're both using the cap because, you know, with COVID, my hair is a bit, you know, you know how it is. Yeah. How are you, man? Nice to meet you. And thank you for coming in, man. I really appreciate it. It's such an honor to have you in. It's a, a yeah. Honestly, I'm very, very humble and grateful to have you on. Anytime. Thank you. And uh, look, first and foremost, um, I hope that your answer is going to be affirmative. But, uh, how is you and your family doing with the COVID? Is everyone okay? You safe and well? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, we're all good. And um, luckily, Germany was not affected as badly. And mm. no one knows why. But uh, it seems to be relaxing quite a bit and quite speedily at the moment. And so everybody's nervous that we get a second wave or another like breakout. But so far, everybody's desperate to get out of the house. So it's really hard to stop people from that. And we just need to see if they keep the distance and be a little bit more cautious. But um, summer is coming and, uh, you know, we want to socialize a little bit you know of course of course i mean berlin especially is quite a dynamic reality and uh, well for us it's the opposite winter is coming uh quoting a bit of game of Thrones, i suppose but uh, look let's just get a kick started ralph uh thank you for giving an hour of your time um and for joining us but could you please tell us a little bit um how did you start your coffee journey i see yeah um actually Ten years ago, exactly. On Sunday, we have our 10th anniversary. I opened, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Now, uh, I opened the, what we now call the Little Barn because it's very small. Um, it's very near my house. Um, I lived in London for 10 years prior to that, and I, I moved here. And I was looking for um, something to do with my life that's a little bit more than just going to an office. And um, I fell in love with hospitality and uh, serving people and um, being in, in, in the community. It felt very basic initially, and I was shocked how much I loved it. And I got obsessed with coffee um, straight away because there was no good coffee around, to be honest. And, and that's probably also the reason why we worked with... Um, roasters and and my my circle of um friends and and my network was in, more international than anything 
So locally, there was no one to learn from. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's how it all started. And uh, uh, I think now looking back, I think it's, it still feels like day one, like nothing has really changed. It just got a little bit bigger and I have to make sure that everybody working around me is playing the same opera and they're not deviating from it. So we like hold it all together and keep our values and so on, which uh, sometimes is a challenge. But on the other hand, um, I'm really still um, very happy that our intrinsic values and the philosophy is fully intact and everybody working with me uh, is believing that in specialty coffee you can really make a change at the source and educating our customers sharing experiences and information and it's just a beautiful community that we live in so we are really blessed when you look at um, COVID-19 and people talking about how our interaction as humans in cities and so on has changed. I kept thinking like, yes, it's true, but we already have that in coffee, you know? It's very, it's very um, community-based and very yes. real, yeah. Uh, but yes, I, 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 I really can resonate with that a lot because I've been in the industry only nine years, but still, with this podcast, I just realized how tight and beautiful the community is. And I think the reason why for you it feels like still the first day is because you love what you do. I suppose that opening the barn was a call for your true passions. Totally. I mean, it was really, it felt that I was looking for something to throw myself into for quite a few, maybe four or five years prior to that. And my background is finance. And that was also the reason why I moved to London. And I was never unhappy in it, but also it never really stimulated me. And so I was kind of like waiting for something to fully throw myself at. And it really happened. I got obsessed with coffee um, and also hospitality and the people around it. It's really where I felt like, you know, um, sometimes I feel... Um, my friends are telling me, oh, you look tired. And I don't really notice it because you're surrounded by so much positive energy. You don't actually feel that it's work. You know, it's just, it's, it's a mix of work and pleasure. Yeah. 100%. And, and look, it, it, it's not work if you really love what you do, is it? Yeah. It, it is work. It's hard work. No, no, no doubt. But, you know, you sound like, you're such in love with the process and it's like your job is not a defining one. You're a shop owner, you're a barista, you're, you know, you're tasting coffee, you're sourcing coffee, you're roasting coffee, you're testing, but you know, you also have to manage people, but you also need to manage your customers online. Like it's, it's, it's such a multi-faces sort of role. Therefore, of course, you know, you well, you don't look tired to me. You look fantastic and in shape. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, but the diversity you're describing in the job is really, really uh, fantastic. And we are keeping, or I'm, I'm trying, I'm pushing to keep it alive by giving the baristas and servers and brewers that are working with me not only like a repetitive job, but um, we really push them to learn about the farms. So we have a like fully integrated model and you're walking in and you um, hopefully feel like um, 
my staff really understands um, the coffee and the story behind it because it all relates back to the farmer and we really feel like we have an obligation to present the coffees in the best possible way that's why we are not serving like cold milk in our drinks or tons of sugar and uh, we want people to really experience the terror and the flavor without being you know too strict about it but you know we feel like we want to guide and we are really truthful to our serving standards and it, it's all related to the flavor and the terror of of the coffee and that's for me the farmer they are putting so much hard work into this it's crazy um and we really want people to talk about you know this farm in brazil I don't know, like Ivan and Rose. It's a it's a beautiful couple that are working so hard, and we want their name out so they can really identify with the product. And more and more people are connected online. A few years back, you know, when you would go to Colombia, you know, people still look at you as you like look like a total stranger because you know you. They they don't see foreigners, you know. And but now they, you know, they have mobile phones, they see their picture, someone is posting about this coffee in some other country, and it really makes them proud. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. 100%. And I think being aligned with your values in terms of translating that with your shop, it's fantastic. Um, before we go back to my questions, Barry is asking if you recommend mocha pot. I'll leave that to you. Yeah, why not? I. Anything is fine, so long as you put good coffee in, you get great coffee out. And mocha pots are good, why not? And Sharon saying your coffee is so fantastic, and she made a swan origami, which sounds amazing. Oh, cool. But there's other, there were other comments saying, I'm wishing you best luck for your 10th anniversary. And I didn't know that, so I, that, that fall very casually. Fantastic news. Um, now, could you, I mean, since you started your roaster roastery and cafe you've been pushing the boundaries of coffee based on your pillars how important is the concept of slow coffee for you i mean um we're talking about hand brews right and uh, filter coffees and so on i find it um really um i mean the whole concept of the barn is for people to slow down. So um, up until recently, we had no music. Now we have a little bit of an like, electronic beat in the background, but we never really want to intrude into the experience. We also had initially no laptops. Now we have laptop zones because you can't say no to rock and roll and everybody's working from home. But also we really want to create an atmosphere where people are talking to each other and there's like a coffee house atmosphere like our parents used to go and flirt or read the newspaper and have a chat and then you know it's kind of like a cultural aspect to it as well and so we don't have arts on the on the walls even though the little barn is based in the gallery district and we have like beautiful artists and they're offering their paintings and so on and so we said like no 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 we say no um really to relax and to slow down and to engage with the coffee um and so the hand brews from the start were like a center point to us and you need to upsell them. So you need anybody that walks in and asks for a long black, you should upsell an AeroPress. It's a really quick thing to do. Uh, to me, it tastes better. I'm not against long blacks, but I think like the flavor experience is a lot more intense in a, 
in a hand brew and it's it's not diluted in that sense and so on so um i'm i'm a big fan and we don't serve it with milk and we really make it a point to talk about that and that in immediately engages the customer with the flavor and with the terror and they are walking out and they go like oh my god nano chalar from ethiopia it tastes like peach you know and so it becomes a memorable experience and then we enable them also to share their knowledge because we gave them some little pieces of information and so on having said it's really difficult in terms of labor costs and speed um and um we hear so much about like the long lines in australia and then people are steaming like crazy all day and they're like pushing out hundreds and hundreds of coffee and so it's really difficult then to say like okay um you know it takes three or four minutes to produce a hand brew so um i i don't know it's in in busy cities in very dense cities and i'm thinking about london also um you don't really see hand brew coffees you know it's just like it doesn't fit into the workflow it needs to be a conscious decision by the business owner to say like we have a dedicated brew bar and i afford a person that is presenting it in that way so think about think about it like marketing cost maybe in that sense for the farmer and we said i love what you do like that i think also the entire the integrity of your shop and all the elements enhance the experience because without music and more focus with the experience your sensory perception is going to be like well hang on i got nothing else to focus other than the cup and the coffee and then people can make the conscious choice of choosing the food the bar and look i agree i think a lot of shops here in melbourne they're like you know uh, steam boxes we call them but there's some <laughs> there are more of others that are a little bit more brew but yeah like you say busy cities is different but that's why i like to name the barn because i think it's like a little get away from the business all the noise all the rustling and it's always you know home you know you make a home for that 15 20 30 minute break and it's meaningful and quality driven now speaking of melbourne melbourne is considered somewhat the one of the capitals of coffee yet i think berlin is the capital of coffee in europe uh, what's the coffee scene like over there in berlin for people who don't know yeah i mean it's quite uh, um grew over the past few years um also because we have so many foreigners and also so many people from australia uh, also new zealand and other countries bringing this coffee culture and their own twist on it so i would say in berlin you see a lot of australian type uh cafes that are focused also on the food experience not possibly not at the level that you have in australia and we are very aware of that but going into that direction also to offer better food than you would get elsewhere and and it's not only avocado toast with a poached egg so they're trying to have their like different takes on it and they make an effort of presenting both really well so i think uh in terms of coffee quality um i think there's still a lot of room for improvement um and um so hopefully in the next kind of like phase 
um, the people that then are established with their concepts and so on, they are also looking for better roasts and focus a little bit more on the, on the coffee quality. But I'd say everything that happened in the past 10 years is definitely much better than what we had before. And it's very diverse also. It's interesting as a roaster, for instance, that in Berlin, you see a lot of coffee shops that are using foreign roasters. They're not so loyal to a local brand as you would have it in anywhere else in the world where you have a local roaster and maybe you, you have the barn as a second option, um, you know, or you run a filter bar with some micro lots and single origins. And um, in Berlin, there is a, lot, a tendency to find like uh, a very individual kind of concept also with the, with the choice of roaster, I would say. That is so interesting because in Melbourne, it's quite the opposite in the sense of people really value locals. In fact, I used to work for a coffee roaster that roasts interstate, so in Sydney. And it was a little bit difficult to introduce a Sydney roast uh, to wholesale cafes as in Melbourne because they favor the Melbourne local, uh, you know, obviously artisan roasteries. Uh, so it's very interesting to hear that about Berlin, which makes me, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I think that I like what you said about the food because I was uh, talking to uh, Francesco Sanapo, of course, from Dit Artigianale, and uh, when he came to compete WBC in 2013, that's what he noticed, and that's what he tried to grow back to Florence, Firenze, uh, in terms of that food. And I think the food element makes especially coffee a little bit more accessible and viable as a business because then you can afford to have less volume of coffee if you're making a little bank out of food, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, that, that, that's definitely true, but um, you need to really understand the dynamics in, in food. You need a chef. Um, you, um, you have to work with wastage if you want to keep it fresh. Um, and so you need kind of like a little bit of volume also on the food side to justify all that. And so... Um, it's something just to bear in mind, for sure, you're right. And especially now in the Corona crisis, um, some of our customers, for instance, in London, the food was really rescuing them because they created a delivery service around it and so on, which we don't really have. We do cakes, fresh cakes, but we don't really have a kitchen. So I think that's also from a um, business owner perspective, also a dream to get away with the majority of the, the business being um, coffee and beans um, yes. and to not to have any like worry about the kitchen and the food. And oh, stuff. that's fantastic. Especially cause you roast as well. So that, that makes a lot of sense too, for sure. Like, and then yeah. I think you probably have seen a lot of uh, crazy spikes in terms of online orders because you know, people are sitting home and they're like, what am I going to drink? Uh, which is fantastic. And your brand is recognized all over the world. We, we all look up to you, even in Melbourne. I know you talked up Melbourne, but we, we all know who you are and what you do. Uh, now, going on a bit more, more generic topic, but look, no doubt coffee is delicious, but it wouldn't be possible without its people and community. From origin to roaster, from baristas to the consumers, I think we often forget about these elements, that we're still a, a people business. It's a people hub. Um, could, going back to basics, basic hospitality, people greetings, and combine that with the overall experience 
become the element to save the industry after coronavirus. Yeah, sorry, can you repeat the question? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, what I was trying to say is I think that a lot of times we focus a lot on the coffee, the latte art, uh, but sure. we forgot about the people from origin to the consumer who grabbed that coffee. And I think we need to give value back to the people yeah. and the overall experience because it's, a, it's people business still. We're all about people. It's community. And we forgot so maybe now it's a good chance to reconnect with the people to save businesses from after the pandemic. Oh, for sure, for sure. I think for us, we always talk about the community at source and the community and the cafe, and they, we need to connect them. We really need to understand where the coffee comes from. We need to support them. Imagine right now, like all the roasters, they have no visibility about the business and all the volume is gone, the cafes are closed around the world, the offices are closed. Yes, the web orders are going up, but not everybody really was prepared for that by having a good web shop or shipping solutions. And it's usually a small part of the business and the main business is B2B and, and roasting for your wholesale customers. And, 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 that's, and that's gone. So the farmers are producing the coffees and like, people are buying a lot less at the moment. It's really, really difficult for them. So for me, it was important to go, like to uh, keep the dialogue and um, keep them involved so they understand. And uh, now we see volumes are picking up again. So we, um, you know, we, we kind of like push a little bit the timeline, but we're still committed and so on. It's really important for them to know, are they coming back this year? You know, it's imagine yes. you put all the effort in producing this amazing coffee and then you have to put it as commodity coffee to some supermarket chain or whatever, you know, it's, um, it's not uh, easy um, at the moment. No, you know? I spoke, I had the blessing to talk to a lot of people and uh, yet yeah, this is the problem that most roasters are describing. It's, it's going to be a, at origin. I mean, I think that, you know, some of us live in lucky countries, but you know, most origins are already in difficult situations to start with. Uh, I mean, I think we go straight into that question because it's related. Um, coffee is underpriced. Um, and I think it's clear to all of us in the industry, right? Do you think that coffee should be treated more in terms of pricing like wine and like beer, for example? Yeah, I mean... Oh, it opens such a big discussion, that question. Um, but I'm thankful that you're putting it out. But um, it's a huge industry with so many layers in it. And um, to be honest with you, I can only talk about my part of the market because I have an impact on my part. And it's very niche. We work with high qualities. But we, um, I visit every farm. And uh, we, I want to have an impact. So I only work with farmers that want to change to specialty and improve, have a protocol behind it and so on, and then pay them fairly for the result. And, and it's not like cherry picking in that sense that we only take the best coffees and then we go home. We really want them to improve the P1s, the high qualities from sometimes only 20%, to 60, 70, sometimes even 80%. So 
we, if, um, you know, they do everything right, the whole kind of portfolio of their harvest will go up and then we can buy more or they sell some of that coffee into other regions and get the branding out and so on. And then there's a market for everything that comes out from a farm. So it's like a salami, you know, someone will take the 82 points. There's always an espresso capsule where you can put in the rest. And so, and it all has a price, but we want the premium part to go up and that's really where they are making the money. And so for us, we never pay less than the previous year. We only go up. So if the quality improves, we pay more. And so the farmer is really important. They know what's coming, like what price is coming because they start spending uh, way before, you know, we buy and pay. And so that's, that certainty is quite important. So, and in a sense of setup, we don't work direct. I mean, we have a direct relationship, but we don't have a contract with the farm. We always work with an exporter that is elevating my farmer because I only go and visit once a year for a couple of days, but my exporter needs to go every week or every other week and check the soil, teach the farmer, um, give them seedlings, access to finance, machinery, and so on. We have so many examples um, where farmers that had that advice did a lot better than everybody around. And so once the community sees what's going on at this one particular farm, it starts spreading and they're doing the same, which is great. So they're learning from each other and then the whole region is lifting up. So I think like we need to do that a lot more. And then obviously, once you have a relationship and you do more, you can go back and have sustainability projects. And you know, you're being part of maybe um, contributing to a school or to health or to education and so on. But I don't feel for us, we don't make it a huge point in talking about it. It's natural that in a relationship you grow but you need yes. to start improving the product and the quality with them so they can stand alone even without you. And I, and I think it's so honorable of you to uh, commit to such a sustainably, uh, co sustainable concept of paying more every year. I think that's really, I think it's really honorable and really good uh, for the entire industry. So thank you for that. And uh, in relation to pricing, for example, there is a, one roaster in Melbourne that they have decided that on the tasting cards they're given with the coffee, they are actually transparent and tell what they have paid for that green beans per kilo. And I think maybe that transparency will help the, you know, the last part of the chain, the person who ordered the coffee at the cafe to understand what and how that can contribute for coffee to become more and more higher quality and why they paid X, Y, Z per yeah. cup. Yeah. I mean, I understand the, we have that, um, it's kind of a movement here. We call it the pledge um, to uh, be more transparent and have a transparency report. And um, we decided not to publish the pricing because um, um, how shall I phrase that um, without being, um, I, I really appreciate the effort of being more transparent and to publish pricing, but I feel uh, once you go to a region and you're trying to find out the cost of production, 
is very, very different in each country of labor costs and um, the product they're using or not, or keeping it organic and so on. And then also to do micro lots, to do an anaerobic coffee is very different from a natural or washed coffee. So I feel as a consumer, you know, like I have no problem publishing something and say like, wow, I paid $15 for that. But what does it mean to the consumer if it, it's not in relation to the cost of production of that coffee? So I found it so long as we don't have some clear reference points of the micro lot level and the cost of production, the farm gate pricing and so on, I feel it's a little bit misleading because you can use it as a marketing tool and say like, oh, look how much I paid but maybe it's an anaerobic micro lot and the farmer didn't make any money on it because he worked like two months on that coffee and he only produced like three bags of it. So I feel I really appreciate more transparency in talking about prices. And so um, I would never um, um, be against any of that movement, but I feel like it needs to be um, put into context. I think we're at the very beginning of it. So lots of people will do mistakes and eventually will find the right formula to translate a, a good way to connect the two worlds for sure. It's just the start because yeah. there's only one roaster here that does that. Everyone else is like, they don't do that. So 100%, I get you. Um, now, we, we kind of reached the half mark of the, of the interview. So I usually ask out of the box question, Ralph. Um, if you could, who would you like to have dinner with? Wow. <laughs> I, that's a good question. Does it have to be coffee related? No, anyone. Dead, alive, future people, anyone. I have no idea. I'm not prepared for that question. I probably should say like I shouldn't have any more dinners because I'm like seriously put on weight and have no exercise during this crisis. <laughs> Um, but I could cook with someone in a healthy way. So it would probably be someone who's very good at healthy cooking or something like that. Okay. I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you. Um, I think it's a tricky question. Everyone has their own way and uh, it, it's interesting. Maybe you can DM me later and it's like, you know what? I'll have dinner with Michael Jordan or whoever. And uh, now Mitchell is asking for Ralph a two-part question. Being a business owner, your brain must be wired. Did you find in the early stages of setting up your business or you found it hard to relax? Hmm. I don't feel stressed at all. Mm. So I like the way I went with the flow. You, look, I'm, I was employee number one. Um, I... I started the shop, a very small shop. Uh, in case it failed, I thought there's not too much at risk. Um, I started baking six o'clock in the morning and my plan was to open at 11, but then I completely overlooked the fact that there's a school on the other side of the street. And so the parents were knocking at eight, coffee, coffee. And so <laughs> the second week I opened at, at eight. And so I kind of like, and all the jobs in my company I once had. So it's kind of like a blessing and a curse, especially for my staff. 
because I have strong opinions and so on. And then it takes time to relax and to trust people. And then that those relationships are growing with, and it's, it's very people related. And so I never really felt maybe starting to roast, I think was a stress point because I also opened the roastery cafe at the same time with very kind of strict protocol. And while I was roasting, I kind of like saw my staff at the bar sweating, you know, saying no to soya milk or whatever, you know, <laughs> explaining the concept. And then I tried to figure out to get better in roasting. And the only way you can do that is practicing as much as I visited my friends in Scandinavia or in, uh, in London um, that were helping me and so on. It's um, you need to find your own way. So um, that uh, maybe I was a little bit naive going into roasting. And I think James Hoffman said to me, I was buying from Square Mile at the time. Um, are you sure you want to do that? Because producing a kilo of coffee at our quality is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of money going. And so you need to build a business around it um, to actually be able to afford um, not only traveling to origin, but to profile and to have waste and so on. And, you know, someone needs to pay for that. Or, or moving bags of coffee, you can't put one bag of coffee on a pallet. It's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, it's just crazy. And so I feel like uh, building the roast business, um, it probably helped me not planning it too much, but just going into it and practicing. I think I would always recommend uh, people that are asking about roasting to start and just to like do it and taste it and get a lot of feedback send your samples to good roasters and so they can throw it back into your face so you can learn from the feedback and so on. So that is maybe something. My job has changed quite a bit over the years, I'd say. Like, and I still miss and I enjoy most um, like clearing dishes and being around the bar and talking to the customers. That's really where I enjoy most. Um, but um, obviously, I'm a lot on the computer now. I travel a lot. I learn a lot about farming. So I feel like I'm going from one learning curve to another learning curve to another learning curve, and it doesn't really stop. And the last two months, I watched so many YouTube tutorials from 15-year-old uh, people teaching me how to use Facebook better and and Instagram, and I feel like, Oh, that's another learning curve, you know. I'm like learning so much now about how everything is connected, da di da di da. So um I feel um not really stressed and wired. I just feel like it's really going from wave to wave in terms of expanding. And that's the beauty of uh, specialty coffee or coffee is like it's a constant I would no one is finished. It's all, con we are discovering so much. Now we are going into all these processing types and having Kenya varietals in El Salvador and um, um, having um, carbonic maceration from the wine industry and find out where's the balance of getting good flavors without really changing the product and make it taste like huba buba bubblegum, you know? And so just to be truthful to the terror which is close to my heart, but maybe pushing a little bit and you know have some form of engagement with customers talking about the processing. 
but without over fermenting something and it tastes like a rotten cheese, you know, that for me, that's not coffee. <laughs> that's not coffee. <laughs> well, I think, I think it's beautiful what you just said, because, uh, uh, I mean, big shout out to James often. I think uh, his advice was pretty good. Uh, it's not easy just to roast and you need to build a business around it. And look, you know, if even people like Scott Rouse during the interviews said, look, ultimately I'm always wrong because next month I'll come up with something else and it's still keep learning despite – you'll never reach a point where you know everything. Um, and, and, I, and I agree with you in terms of keep practicing. I mean, Bianca, who just sent her a message, she's a – a 16-year-old girl from Indonesia, and she started roasting about a few months ago. So, uh, and the only way she's doing it is just keep roasting. And uh, she actually sent me a pack of Gallo single origin from Indonesia. And it was delicious. So, uh, and I think you're right, self-teaching yourself. And, and I think you're right. Online, there are lots of tools, YouTube, uh, Instagram lives, or whatever, where you can take notes and learn. And even if you take one thing out of someone and take it home and was like, you know what, I'm going to let that digest, process it, and then apply it. You know, I think it's very important. Now, um, speaking of which, I read in an article that you were part of that one of your obsessions is a quality. Uh, why? Well, everything else already exists. It's kind of boring to replicate. I feel like we are specialists and that's yeah. the name and you know, it's specialty coffee. And I feel that um, sometimes we're in this bubble and we think like everything we know, everyone knows. And the smallest and simplest thing to just teach someone or experience through taste, the flavor um, is changing the mind. And one person can be like a domino teaching other people and we have that quite a bit in our spaces where we say like hey you're asking for flat white every day fuck it why don't you have a hand brew you know i have this beautiful ethiopian and it tastes like that if you don't like it i make you a flat white just today is not a flat white day and then they taste it and maybe they don't like it it's not their thing but they will talk about it they bring other people and they say, look, they're doing this here and it tastes amazing. You should try that. Have less milk, Don't, you know. And I think <clears throat> um, a black coffee can only enjoy it if it's at a very high quality and if you don't kill it in the roast. Yes. If you don't, don't burn it like a burnt toast. And only then, yeah, and it's the best vegan pro um, product. And we have a huge vegan movement here in Berlin and I'm sure it's global. But especially in Berlin, your people are very aware of how they eat and what they consume. And I feel um, they should drink black coffee only. And you can only do that if you have an expressive, clean and flavorsome uh, experience. 100%. Black coffee is the most sustainable because coffee itself is not very sustainable if you want to you know, macro. But once you start adding on top, you know, even almond milk or soy milk or regular milk, there is so much more resources in there. And it is, are you right in terms of the quality? Uh, a little story about me. I started only drinking coffee a few years back because I, I find myself behind this amazing Slayer, this mentor of mine. We had seven grinders. And at the time, we were pretty much all our single origin were from uh, uh, Joseph Brodsky, 90 plus. And my first ever uh, V60 was a light cello. 
And uh, that, that changed my life. It was like, hang on, this is not coffee. Because non-coffee drinkers or people who drink it with sugar, with milk, they expect in the bitterness. That's what they want to go away from it. So uh, they think black coffee, bitter, not enjoyable, waste of time and money. So I had the luck to be exposed to super high quality right away. So that's what converted me super quickly. And uh, yeah, I was very lucky for that. Um, thanks for sharing what you just said, by the way. I think you're super right. Uh, Ralph, uh, if you could change one thing of the industry, coffee industry, uh, what would that be? Um, to, to focus on the product more than on the branding. So for me, um, yes, we're, um, being Instagrammable is very important and um, to reach a community also through aesthetics is very important. But I find the packaging is not more important than the content. So if you have, or the other way around, if you have a great packaging, please make sure it's amazing coffee inside and not just a box. So for me, that's hollow. I, I, I can relate super to that and without going, without making people upset, but I, I find that we have a, yeah, that's something that I've always said around down here, especially we have a lot of roasters, Ralph, like it, it's silly how many roasters we got. We're lucky, but you're right. If, if it's like fine dining, right? Uh, you expect your meal to be just as good as your service, the cutlery, the venue, the music, the smell, the cleanness. Everything needs to match the quality. You're right. Like, what's the point of putting burnt toast like coffee uh, into a super pristine, amazingly looking bag? And look, I do social media for a living. I do it just for coffee businesses and cafes and restaurants. And I let them always know. There's no point to lie to people and make look your shop like what is not, period. That's my philosophy. Otherwise, I don't touch it. If you ask me to make your shop look like what is not, then I don't want to do business with you. I'd rather not taking your money. It, 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 I, I, I resonate super well what you just said, 100%. Yeah. And, uh, and if anything, I had always the argument that if you put the same you know, coffee in just the same bag, which one would taste better is what more important it is. Totally. It's kind of like a nightmare for, like our packaging is extremely basic. It's probably the most boring in the industry. It makes it harder to differentiate on, on our web shop. And um, like we were thinking about ways of like how to make and, um, but it's, it's kind of, we just, we know that um, the people that um, um, relate to what we do, um, they kind of, start reading and start exploring and they're asking questions and we really like that engagement it's like a barista on the bar recommending something and Correct. so it's triggering this um interaction rather than you know isolating and just spend in you know be with the box uh yeah i get it and look rennie rennie is summing it up pretty well hey guys rennie from singolo it's a roaster in sydney uh, we love our minimal packaging with cracking coffee inside. Perfect. That's that's all that matters. Yeah. Hundred um, percent. Now, uh, going more a bit of a generic topic um, because you're super experienced. Uh, do you have any advice uh, for people who are chasing their true passion, which is coffee, but they're stuck with a good job? You know, society tells you to be in finance. 
to, to be a banker, a dentist, a doctor, but they hate it. Let's say they hate it and they really would like to get into coffee. What would you say are the first steps? What, what would you say that you were in those shoes? Yeah, I mean, it's really tricky. It really depends on the personality. Some people need the security. Um, they need the income. They created a lifestyle around it. And they probably are a doctor for a reason. They, you know, studied for it and they also believe in it. And maybe the routine um, is um, giving them the, the feeling that um, they need to change and their life and so on. But it really, you know, when you're ready for it. And we had quite a few of those cases that came onto the barista side and they wanted to, um, I think that's maybe good to take a sabbatical and just learn from someone and get some experience for a couple of months um, or use your holiday. And it can only be like a week. It's really, really hard work to be a barista. Um, it's like when you see these model shows, they say like, oh, you're just walking. No, I'm not just walking. It's hard work to present something and to work some, and to make something look very, very easy is a very hard craft and a skill set that you need to learn. And it's very physical. You know, it's like you're standing like eight, nine, ten hours in a coffee shop. It's really, really hard work. And the payment is not super high. So that's why we need to promote more expensive coffee, people paying more for it. So then ultimately we can also pay a little bit better, but it has to come from the inside because you're following that passion. And then probably someone coming from um, like the environment you just said, they are probably thinking then after learning, and that's what I did. I worked for someone for a year and a half just to learn hospitalities. And I just cleaned dishes all the time. And, you know, serve people and really learn how to be, you know, a good host. And, um, and then you start your, your own business. Um, so it's probably you have a plan in mind, but um, it's not, um, it's not just, I mean, it's not, you don't buy the puppy for Christmas, you have it for life, you know, it's like a changing, it's, it's a fundamental shift. And you need to uh, accept that your income will be different for, for quite a while. Well, in my case, 10 years. And, and thank you. What you said is, is fantastic. That's what happens here in Melbourne is there's such a, friend, a frenzy. Let's open a coffee shop seems very romantic. People romanticize the idea, but they don't work that one year cleaning dishes. They don't learn. They just jump in it. And I think you're absolutely right. You should at least do a year, year and a half of apprenticeship before you can start. Uh, Bonnie's saying, love what you guys do at the barn. I used to travel to Berlin regularly for work. And every time I visited, I had to come to the shop to buy beans because of the quality and taste. Thank you. So, there you go. Um, now, with so much on your plate, and you can remind us how many cafes you go and roasteries. Um, how do you manage your uh, work life? What's the balance? I don't have a balance, unfortunately. <laughs> um, I, yeah, like, I don't know. I get up, I make my coffee, I sit on the computer, and then, you know, my day starts, and then it's midnight. Um, and what, <laughs> so and what, I, what, what coffee is there in the morning, usually? What, what, do, you, what do you bring I, in the morning? 
I always brew over 60, I have to be honest. And I, sometimes I do an AeroPress. Um, but I, for me, I wake up when I smell my coffee. And it's like a routine. And then I'm, while I enjoy it, I look at the social media. I still do everything by myself. So all the um, posts and the comments and respond to direct messages is still me, um, which is not really sustainable. But I feel also it has to be real. And so, um, I don't know. So I do that while I have my V60. And this morning, it's like, I, it's like stretching. It's like a stretching routine for the morning. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then I have a little home trainer here, but I only just walk by it and say hello. And I, I don't use it very often, but I, <laughs> I know what I should do. And so I have kind of the infrastructure in place, but I'm not using it. I'm really bad at that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you got a lot going on. I think uh, it's very understandable. And uh, the band wouldn't be the band that's recognized globally um, if it wasn't for you keeping it real and genuine. It's you behind the design, the sourcing, the quality control, the, the responding to the comments. So you're keeping it real. And keep it real, brother. Like uh, that, That's absolutely... Uh, something something to keep in mind for sure yeah i mean i couldn't do it without my staff it's absolutely essential to find people that are carrying your uh your message and also your your values and i have to say I, i'm extremely lucky to be surrounded by a lot of amazing people um and most of them are not german it's really interesting i have 22 nationalities and um, i'm in minority wow. <laughs> is that right <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't know. It just, well, initially I always said like people from other cultures have a stronger um, appreciation for uh, coffee and they're yeah. coming from cultures where uh, hospitality is a craft and not something you do while you're a student. Um, and um, uh, probably a lot of that is still true though, so, yeah. Yeah, uh, Tall Americano is asking a tricky question, but feel free asking, who are your top three coffee people? But I mean, they're all favorite, but I suppose, who would you like to meet that you ever met? Maybe that's a way to look at it. Oh, I don't know. Or who inspired you? Maybe, maybe who inspired you in coffee? Maybe, okay. <laughs> let's okay. change the question. Okay, in terms of um, um, people, I mean, everybody that um, is really engaged and is pushing, and we, we know those names, um, these are the people that probably were once um, in barista competition um, or they worked in um, establishing a cup of excellence, uh, which I find quite important, um, and have a voice to really make a change. And if you look to, um, to the States, for instance, but also um, Australia or other countries, the Nordics, um, I'm a huge fan um, of... Um, some of the people there, and it's always been guiding me. But I find um, um, if we take go back to Square Mile and what uh, James and Annette are doing, I found that uh, really um, impressed me in terms of sourcing and also having a product that's um, at a high quality and it's approachable. I find it very real. But also Tim Wendelboe, for instance, uh, was always a huge, huge and still is um, a, a great inspiration. 
and I love talking to them and we often disagree on things and it's really refreshing. Yeah. Um, and so I find it's, um, I find respect is a very important work in that word in that context. And um, I find like respecting um, other what people are doing. Um, and, 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 and for me, it's always related to the product, the way someone is trying to improve roasting or approaching roasting or work with farms or as sharing uh, knowledge um, here in the communities, but also um, a very simple thing, um, train your staff, just, don't just put them on the espresso machine. You need to teach them. And so I feel that's also a very strong obligation to um, evolve people. They're coming to you because they want to learn something. And so, and which is tricky in Berlin because you, there's so much temptation to do something uh, fun. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> Berlin is a fun city. <laughs> so, but we have a training center and, um, you know, people need to come and they need to talk about the coffees and present them and learn. That's, I find that quite important. Yeah, and Raf, it was my bad. To Americano, actually, I read the question wrong. What's your top three coffees, your favorite coffees? I read coffee dudes, but yeah. that was a great answer anyway. <laughs> um, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's still a good topic. Raf, before you answer that, um, we are very, very quickly approaching the hour mark, and uh, Instagram shot it after. That gives us a little 30 seconds alarm, so it's it's always tricky. Um, so before we go on to the last question, I want to say thank you uh, on behalf of the coffee community. Thank you for what you do, but also for sharing an hour of your time, of your busy schedule. Obviously, happy anniversary for Sunday. And I'm feeling very humbling, very humbled and grateful for I had the chance to meet you, even if it's virtual, uh, and share this hour together. So thank you. Um, Thanks. So you can close it with saying, what's next on your planet? And also answering Tall Americano. Let's say the top three coffees that you enjoy. <laughs> okay. I really like Kenyan coffee. And recently, Radio Faro from Indonesia was blowing my mind. And I have to say, because I owe it to the people in Brazil, they're doing a fantastic job. There is great coffee in Brazil. So anything you're buying from Faf for instance, is absolutely mind-blowing and is resetting my whole opinion about Brazil. In terms of projects, um, I'm building a roastery right now with a small annex cafe. Yeah, I couldn't stop it. It was a running project and then the crisis came. But uh, in a couple of months, we are making a move and um, we're really, really excited. It's kind of a very positive, motivating thing in this crisis. Um, although it's a little bit risky, but uh, we're really much looking forward to uh, to have a new roasting space in Berlin. Fantastic news, Ralph. Uh, I'm very wrapped for you, and I hope to... Well, are you traveling anytime soon to Melbourne? No traveling. <laughs> I'll, I, will, I will have to travel to Berlin to visit oh, yeah. you in person. I really look forward to share a cup of coffee together. Um, and uh, again... Uh, thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, you were so nice to sharing all your stories and experiences and people who rewatch this will see value and this is what it's all about. And uh, hopefully, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll add a little story with your profiles for the people who, who tune in next to uh, come and say happy birthday anniversary. And as I mentioned, it's 26 seconds to go. Ralph, 
Uh, auf Wiedersehen, Dankeschön and I uh, hope to meet you very soon, brother. Thank you very much. All the best. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, man. Have a lovely day. Thanks, Thanks. buddy. Bye. Uh, thank you all for coming. It's nine seconds left on the stream. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, just share it again and uh, I'll see you tomorrow.